uh, Father's Day. Last week, though, we were in 1 Kings chapter 18, and I didn't want to leave the story behind, so I've taken the story from 1 Kings chapter 18, and we're applying it specially to fathers this morning. Hopefully, when you walked in, you got uh, sermon notes like this. Uh, if you didn't, they're in the foyer. There's, we wanted to put something in a dad's hand as they leave today, and the sermon that lies before us is, is here with a, a number of words that start with the letter P, which I don't normally do, but we're giving it a try today. Um, and then a little secret for everyone else in the room. If you're not a dad, <clears throat> every single one of these will work for you. So just pay attention. Even if you're not a father, I think it's all applicable across the board. So last week in 1 Kings chapter 18, here's what's happening. There's an evil king, Ahab, who's reigning in Israel. And God says, this king is so evil, I'm going to send punishment for his evil reign by a drought. So three and a half year drought comes to the land of Israel for the punishment of King Ahab's sins. Along comes the prophet Elijah. He's the one who delivers the news of the drought. So for three and a half years, there's a drought, and then it wraps up the drought with a promise from God in 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 1. It says, after many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. The verses that follow in 1 Kings 18 then tell the story of what happens after Elijah meets Ahab. And here's what happens. Elijah says, let's have a test. Let's see who's the real God. Is it Baal, this false God that you all like to worship, or is it the true and living God? So we're going to set up these altars of stone. You set one up for Baal, I'll set one up for the true and living God. We'll put sacrifices on top. We'll each pray to our God. Whichever one can send fire from heaven is the real and true and living God. They do that. We talked about it last week. No fire falls for Baal. God's fire falls and consumes the sacrifice, the stones, the dust, and the water that Elijah dumped on top of his sacrifice, illustrating that God's a true and living God. From there, where we left off last week was Elijah went and slaughtered the prophets of Baal, and that's where we left off in, in 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 40. But if you noticed, there was still no rain. I mean, rain is on everyone's mind. It's great that the prophets of Baal have now been done away with, but we still need rain, and it hasn't rained. And so in verse 41, where we pick up the story this week, it says this, And Elijah said to Ahab, that's the evil king, Go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of the rushing of rain. We're going to work through these verses together. What you're going to see in some of the coming verses in just a moment is that there's not a cloud in the sky. It's total clear blue skies. There's not a single cloud in the sky. We're going to be told that in a couple verses. So then Elijah says, though, go have a snack because I can hear the sound of rain. So what's going on there? There's not a cloud in the sky. How can Elijah hear the sound of rain? Well, it's because Elijah has a promise from God, and he is so confident that God is going to keep this promise. He can already hear the rain. It's like, I already hear it. There's not a cloud in the sky, Elijah. Yeah, yeah, but I trust in the promise of God, and I can already hear the rain. It's coming. And so where we start this morning, as we want to be a praying father, we have to start with a promise. Elijah starts with a promise from God. And the promise that he's looking at is that God is going to send rain. You and I need to think as fathers or as just individuals in this room, is there a promise from God? Have I heard a word from the Lord, but I have not yet seen it come true? That's where Elijah is right now at the beginning of the story. He has heard the word of the Lord. He has a promise from God, but he has not yet seen it come true. But that doesn't matter because he's still confident. 
even though he hasn't seen the word of the Lord come true, he still has a confidence in the promise of God that it will come true. He believes it so much he can already hear it. So the question for ourselves, for dads, have you read a promise in scripture that hasn't come true yet? Maybe you've seen these promises of peace, but you don't feel peace. You've read these promises of of rest, but you don't feel rest in your soul. Maybe you've read this promise from God that says, I didn't come just to give life. I came to give you life to the fullest. The promise of God for you is that you're going to experience life to the fullest. And yet you look at that promise and you say, I'm not experiencing life to the fullest. It's the same situation. God said, I will send rain. There is no rain. How will you respond? By faith, Elijah said, I know there's no rain, but I can hear it. It's coming. I have faith. It's coming. Is that how we are as dads? We have the confidence of faith, even in these situations. And maybe you say, well, this isn't fair, right? Elijah is like one of the greatest prophets to ever walk the face of the earth. So we can't compare ourselves to this great prophet. We're just ordinary people. Fine, that makes sense. Except if you read 1 Kings chapter 19, the very next chapter, this great, this great man of faith that you don't want to compare himself to, this is where he's going to be. He's going to be in a cave, hiding, depressed, and suicidal. And he's going to be praying that God would take his life. He's checked out. He's given up. He's thrown in the towel. He's done. So we're kind of like Elijah in some ways. The author of James in the New Testament says this. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. You know what that means? It means that he had high highs and he had low lows. It means that he could muster up through God's grace. He could be full of faith. And at other moments, he could be deep in a dark valley. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. So in chapter 19, he's in a valley. On chapter 18, he's on a mountaintop. But he has heard the word of the Lord. He trusts in the promise of God even when he can't see it. So dads, what you and I are called to do as we lead our families is first we really have to listen and read and learn what the promise of God is. And then once we have that promise of God, then the step two is to trust in that promise. There are thousands of promises in the Bible. Thousands. Now, be careful when you claim them because they're not all for you, just as a disclaimer, right? I think our children this morning are learning about Joshua and the battle of Jericho. And God promised Joshua that if he marched around the city, the walls would come tumbling down. That was a promise for Joshua. It's not a promise for you, but it's still a promise that God made that came true. But there are many promises in the Bible that are for you. Let me give you some examples. When you or your family are feeling weak, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Paul wrote this when he was experiencing a thorn in the flesh that wouldn't go away. My grace, God speaks to him, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. So there's a promise. When you're feeling weak, when you have something that just won't go away and it's plaguing you, the promise from God to you and your family is this, that when you are feeling weak, it is then that his, his power is made perfect in you. So that's a promise from God to you and to your family. Do you believe it? Another one, when you and your family are feeling guilty or full of shame over a bad choice, 
you look back and you think, oh, there's some guilt and shame there. Well, 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And so as we lead our families or as we have an internal dialogue with ourselves, we tell ourselves, like, is that promise true? That if I am in Christ, if I'm confessing my sins, then he's forgiving my sins. Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So I have this guilt and this shame as I look back. We as a family look back and, and we don't like that. But, but the promise of God that you need to lead your family in, Father, is that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that's a promise that we can trust in. Even when we, we can't see it as true, even as we can't, people around us couldn't, the people around Elijah couldn't hear the sound of rain. It was only Elijah who could hear the sound of rain. Because it was Elijah who had this confidence. He had heard the word from the Lord. The others hadn't. So if you have heard the promise, if you can hear the rain, but they can't, then you might want to do what Elijah does and go to a place and pray. That's the next word on our outline is the word place. Place. Elijah goes to a place of prayer. 1 Kings 18, 42. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel. So King Ahab goes for his snack while Elijah goes to his place. This was one of Elijah's places where he could go and pray. Jesus had places where he liked to pray. One of them was the Garden of Gethsemane at the foot of the Mount of Olives. We know he liked to pray there. Jesus taught us a lot about prayer. One of the things Jesus taught us about prayer was this. He says, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. So Jesus taught us, he said, you should think about the place where you pray. And you know what might be helpful is not to just shout out your prayers on the street corner like the Pharisees do so that they can get the approval of men, but maybe you should get into a secluded place and pray to your Father. Now Jesus went on to teach in Matthew chapter 18 that where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. And so Jesus is saying, like, you can pray in isolation and you can gather around some other believers, unite your prayers together and pray with others the New Testament is also going to tell us to pray without ceasing. And so you can have a prayer closet and you can have a prayer meeting and you can pray all throughout your day, but we might want to think through place. Where are these places that I'm praying? So, so we pray together in this space every Sunday, don't we? On Wednesdays, a small group of people gather at 3 p.m. in our conference room and pray in that place. I pray in different places. I pray in my office, but one of the new places that I pray now is, uh, thanks to my friend John Barber, uh, who introduced the men of Northgate Church to a sauna, I now pray in the sauna. So on a good week, I go to the gym twice a week, um, and I have this new habit. At the end of my workout, I go in the sauna for 15 minutes, and I'm learning sauna etiquette. There's, there's no chit-chat really happening. Sort of like we're sitting in silence with like four or five other guys just sweating. Um, so I've just developed this new routine where those are my 15 minutes in the sauna to pray and sweat, and it's become a new place where I pray. Place is, is relevant. If you go and look up, there are multiple books with this title, The Power of Place, because people have been studying it for a long time. You know, there's a reason that when you walk into a beautiful church cathedral, you feel one way. And when you walk into Applebee's, you feel a different way. It's the power of place. 
There's a reason it is easier to pray at a secluded beach than it is to pray at a Taylor Swift concert. Like, there is a reason. It's the power of place. Place is significant. We should think through. If we're going to be a praying father or a praying individual here this morning, we should think about place. Place matters. If you don't have a place, then think about that this week. A little homework assignment. Think about a place. It could be the driving range while you hit balls. It could be your commute to work. But think through, where's a place that I could connect to with my prayers so that when I'm in that place, I know I'm praying. So it's a promise and there's a place and then there's posture. First Kings 18.42, he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. So as we notice his posture, it's a posture of humility. If you were with us a number of months ago, we did a sermon series on worship and we talked about our posture then too. It was the same posture, and I'll demonstrate, as I did months ago, an attempt to do what Elijah did. So he put his, his face to the ground, and he put his head between his knees. So when you try to do that, you realize that the prophets of old were limber, because I can't do it. And for the life of me, I can't get my head between my knees. Maybe I need to be doing different workouts. But, joking aside... You put yourself in this posture, and it's a posture of humility, right? It's a posture of vulnerability. It is a posture that demonstrates physically that I am utterly and totally dependent. I got no power. I'm like in a fetal position. It's like going back to birth. A birth, a baby has no control, right? They're totally dependent and vulnerable human beings. And so our posture in prayer, Elijah's posture in prayer demonstrated his dependence upon God. Now you've got to remember this story in context from last week. Just a few maybe hours ago on this exact same place, Elijah had a different posture. He was full of confidence. He was so confident that he was making fun of the prophets of Baal. And yet here he stands or doesn't stand at all. Now he's on his face. Why? Because Elijah knows he didn't make fire fall from heaven. And he can't make it rain. He's already done everything he can do. He's probably stood there with confidence. He probably expected it to rain right after the fire fell, and it didn't happen. And so Elijah's having this moment of realizing, like, wow, I looked really good an hour ago. Crowds were around. I looked like a person of power. And I, I wasn't the star of the show, but I was like a strong like assistant to the lead, right? And now here I stand, and it's still not raining. And so I'm on my face before God, begging him, totally dependent. I can't make it rain, God, but you said it would rain. You told me this is your promise, and I'm dependent upon you. I don't have any control in the situation. He's desperate. Have you ever been there? I think back through my life, I try to think, when have I been there? And I've been there a few times, as I'm sure you have as well, where you're willing even to get down that low and say, God, I don't know what to do. It says in, in James chapter 1, verse 5, if anyone lacks wisdom, he should ask of God, who gives generously. So I've been there on my face saying, God, I don't know what to do. I need your wisdom. You promised me that if I asked you for wisdom, you would give it to me. And so here I am on my face, dependent upon you, give me wisdom. Maybe it's not wisdom, maybe it's you just need God to show up. 
God, this whole thing is moving for you to show up, and I need you to show up. I can't do this without you. I can't make it rain. I can't solve this problem. This problem that lies before me is out of my control, and I'm on my face, and I'm dependent. You know, and it occurs to me as I'm working through this in my own internal dialogue, I'm realizing, like, I wonder why these moments are so few. And then I think that might be part of my problem, and maybe it's part of your problem. There's so few, probably because I live with this illusion of control. Probably because, like, my default mode is like, God, I got this. I got this today. If I bump into a problem, I will let you know. But otherwise, I've got it. It's under my control. If things get out of my control, then I will let you know. This illusion of control. We live with this illusion of control. Christians, as well as non-Christians, we all suffer it because of the time in which we live, partially because technology at our fingertips, we have fooled ourselves into thinking that we're in control of things that we just are not. You rewind the clock a few hundred years and you talk with those people and they would have much better clarity on this than you and I. They were not in control. You weren't in control of where you were born or when you were born. You have no control over, you're gonna get in a car today and you're gonna have an illusion of control. But if any of those parts of your car break down, you have no control, and you can only control your car on the road. And there are so many other cars on the road. You, can't con- you dive down that rabbit hole, and it might be scary, but it's also very healthy for you to realize that you do not have as much control as you think you do. Because that should stimulate then to fall on your face before God, probably on more of a regular basis. And we say, God, I am in this place, and I'm in this posture to remind myself that this day that lies before me is out of my control. And so I'm gonna walk this day with faith in you, acknowledging that I am totally dependent upon you today and every day. This illusion of control. Let's remind ourselves of our dependence upon God, however we need to do that. If that's a place or a posture, then let's do it so that we can remind ourselves of its importance. Persistence is the next P. Persistence, And he said to his servant, go up now and look towards the sea. And he went up and looked and said, there's nothing. And he said, go again, seven times. Am I persistent in prayer like Elijah was? I can't help but wonder about how much time passed. That's what I want to know. I want to know how much time passed between Elijah telling him to go. How long did it take him to go and look and then come back? I want to know how much time passed before he said to go look again. Are these like seconds, minutes, hours? How long is taking place between the asks and the returns? Because it was seven times. Well, there's nothing. Go look again. 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 Nothing. I think that was six times, and you're already annoyed, and I crammed those into 10 seconds. I want to know at what point Elijah is getting more and more frustrated. I want to know at what point the servant is getting frustrated. There's so much that has been left up to our imaginations in this story. Have you ever been in this situation? where you're trusting God to fulfill his promise, but it's not happening like you thought it would. You see, you have this promise from God. You know, there's this, there's, there's this peace that's supposed to pass all understanding. I have this promise, but I'm not experiencing it. And I'm starting to look like a fool. You want me to go again? You want me to go look again? 
I'm starting to look like a fool. I have faith, but I have no evidence for what I'm believing in. I am praying, but nothing is changing. I am persisting in prayer, but I am getting no sign whatsoever from God. And I am getting frustrated, and the people around me are getting frustrated, and I keep telling them it's going to happen, and then it keeps not happening. And I prayed for peace, and I feel no peace. And I prayed for fulfillment, and I don't feel fulfilled. And I prayed for courage, and I feel afraid. And I prayed for strength, and I feel weak. What do you do? Do you remain persistent in prayer? Do we give up after like the sixth prayer? The Christian life can be frustrating. We're allowed to say it out loud. Here's why. Because he can read our thoughts. So we can say it. The Christian life is frustrating. It's a frustrating walk. It is demonstrated in this moment. Seven times. Are you kidding me? I am so frustrated at this point. Here's why the Christian walk is frustrating. The book of Revelation was written by 2,000 years ago. The apostle John is having these visions and Jesus is speaking to him about the end and then it closes up with this line from Jesus to John 2,000 years ago. Hey, I'm coming soon. Oh, that's, that's interesting, isn't it? So that was 2,000 years ago and the leader of our faith, the man that we follow said, hey, I'm coming soon. 2,000 years, 2,000 years on that promise. It's frustrating to follow a God who says this. Hey, by the way, just in case you get frustrated, 1,000 years is like a day to me. And a day is like 1,000 years. So here's a promise, and it's going to be fulfilled. Great. But the timing piece can be highly frustrating as we live by faith and not by sight. I trust you, God. You said it. And because you said it, I will believe it. And I will get frustrated as I wait. And the people around me might get frustrated too. But fathers, listen to me here. Fathers, it's your role in the household when they're frustrated and when they're questioning. Are you sure that's what the word of the Lord says? You, as the father here, you need to have the faith when the people around you are getting frustrated. You need to be persistent in prayer. You might look like a fool. You might begin to question yourself, did God really say? But that's our role, is to hold strong in our faith, persistent in prayer, even when people around us are frustrated. They can't hear the sound of rain. They don't remember that promise, but that's how we lead them. And then the last P in our list is the word pep. And the word pep illustrates the fact that like, this is why I don't do this in my sermons. I don't put all the points starting with the same letter because of the word pep. <laughs> you dedicate all this time into sermon prep, right? And then you get to this last one, and you're like, and you're spending hours Googling synonyms that start with the letter P. And you're like, I have better uses of my time than Googling synonyms that start with the letter P. So, this is why it doesn't happen often, but pep, maybe it's a memorable um, pep. And this is how the story closes. And at the seventh time, he said, behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. And in a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel, and the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. 
And he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. So the question we ask ourselves, is there pep in my step when God moves? Is there pep in my step when God moves? So the uh, servant comes back. He says, I see a little cloud. Now, if I'm Elijah, I might, I'm not as good as Elijah. I might just say like, a little cloud? Like that's, that's all I've got is a little cloud? It's like whenever you say, oh, just, just one person came? Oh, just, I thought I was going to make a bigger difference. I thought God was going to move in a bigger way. And there's only just like this little cloud the size of a man's hand. I thought, I thought God was going to show up in a big way. And he's only showing up in a little way. But that's not what Elijah does. That's not what Elijah does because he's got a pep in his step whenever God moves. So it may just be one person. It may be a little sign. It might be a little increase. It might be a little change. But you're paying so close attention that that person you're praying for, you see just a slight shift in their heart. And you're like, oh, praise God. There's a pep in my step. And the thing that I've been praying for, it looks like it's happening. It's only a slight change. People may not have even noticed it yet, but I have And I'm living by faith, and I can hear the sound of change already. Only a few people showed up. Oh, but I already took all these steps of faith, and I've been so persistent in prayer. I'm ready to jump up and down because there's a few people in the room. Because I am trusting in what God can do if he continues to work. And even if God doesn't continue to work, and it's only a few of us, then that's what he has called us to, isn't it? And so when God moves, we respond with a pep in our step because he is using us and working through us, no matter what the size of the movement But the storm clouds come and the heavens dump rain. And Elijah says, go tell Ahab to hit the road. And so Ahab gets in his chariot. And then I think the strangest part of the story that doesn't make sense to me, and we can all figure it out some other time, but Elijah decides to race the chariot. Um, We can ask him when we get to heaven why. But Elijah has this sort of like, I don't know, silly notion. So God can do the impossible. I mean, I put an altar there, he consumed it with fire. And everyone around me was like, God could never do that. And then he's like, uh, rain's coming. And Elijah's like, no, yeah, rain's coming. And the people around him are like, I don't see any rain. And Elijah's like, just wait and see. Trust me, God's going to show up. He does the impossible. Then they're like, well, where's the rain? It's just a little cloud. And he say, just wait and watch with me. God does the impossible. And then I think in the same vein, Elijah, are you crazy? Why are you running after the chariot? And Elijah's just like, hey, come on. God does the impossible. And so I'm going to set off and do the impossible. And you can think I'm crazy. But you know what? When the hand of the Lord is upon you, as it says it was for Elijah here, you might just do things that people think are crazy. And you know what? When the hand of the Lord is upon you, you can do the impossible. So don't let people pull you down. Keep that pep in your step. Don't let people tell you that it's foolish. If God is moving and you see that movement, then you respond as he leads you to do it. And you live that sense of anticipation with a pep in your step as you see God move. So we've got our promise. I hope you can leave here today with some kind of promise that you're trusting God for, for you or for your family. Hopefully you can think carefully about a place for prayer, a posture in your prayer, a persistence to your prayers, and then a pep in our step as we see God move. 
I want us to leave here this morning having prayed. So I know not everyone in the room is a father, but I want us all to pray together. So on your handout, that's why um, we printed it for you so you could be a tool for you. There's a little QR code here. So that's a link to this book called Five Things to Pray for Your Kids. I pulled three of them and edited them a bit and put them on your handout. So if you like this handout, then you should go online and buy this book. If you're like me, sometimes you don't know what to pray. So you want to pray for your kids every day, right? So then, but it's like, you fall into the rut of the same prayer all the time. You just keep saying the same prayer over and over and over again. And so a tool like this just helps us have some more variety and remind ourselves of the different things we can be praying for our children. And I think what our children need from us as fathers and all of us in the room, the greatest gift we fathers can give our children is the gift of prayer. And so I'm going to invite us to do that. We did this a few months ago, and so I'm going to invite us to take in this place a posture of prayer. So if you are physically able, if you're not physically able, then just stay right where you are. But if you are physically able, then in your pew or in the aisles that you're near, let's go on our knees As we're on our knees, I'm going to pray through the back of this for my children, and you're going to pray it for your children. So there's there's some former Catholics in this room or current Catholics. You know what to do. (laughs) These pews can accommodate kneeling. We're going to kneel together, and we're going to pray for our kids. I'll pray for mine, and you pray for yours. Heavenly Father, I'm praying that my child will be saved. God, save my child. I pray, Heavenly Father, for my children, that you would cause them to be saved by grace, that you would give them the gift of faith. I pray, Lord, as my children grow, they would boast in Christ alone. I pray, Lord, that you would guard them and that they wouldn't become self-righteous, arrogant kids. Lord, I pray that they would boast in Christ alone not their good works. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you cause my children to grow to be like Jesus and that you would prepare them for good works. I pray, Lord, that my child, my children will have confidence in Jesus. Father, I pray that they will trust in Jesus and by faith they will draw near to God through prayer, Lord. I pray that my children would develop the habit of prayer, that they would be drawing near to you, their Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, that when troubles come, they would hold fast to their confession of hope. In difficult times, may my children know the hope that is in their faith. I pray for my children that they would consider how to stir up others to love and good works. God, I want my kids to go out into this world and be agents of change, positive change, good works. Lord, I want my children, I pray that they would meet together with the church. As they grow, I pray they wouldn't grow away from the church, but grow deeper and deeper in the church. They wouldn't stop coming to church, but they would just continue all the more throughout their life, and that they would be an encouragement to others as they gather with the church. And finally, Lord, I pray that my children would experience, uh, in the midst of change and uncertainty or fear, as they might experience those things growing up, Lord, I pray that they would meditate on your word they would obey your word, even when they're uncertain, even when they're afraid. And Lord, in those scary moments, I pray that they would prosper, that in the midst of their fear, they would experience you and prosper. 
God, I pray that they would be strong and courageous. There is so much to be afraid of. There are so many challenges that lay before them. God, help them to be strong and courageous. And help them to be confident of your presence. You are with us. You told us that so many times. You are with us, and may they have confidence in your presence with them. So Lord, I pray for my children, each of us in this room, Lord, and praying for our children or our grandchildren or our nieces or nephews or friends or neighbors. We commit these children to you, Lord, adults, kids, all of us, Lord. May this be true. We trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for spending this day with us. We're honored that you would spend Father's Day the morning here with us in worship. So thank you. Uh, We hope you have a blessed Father's Day. Remember, there's a lot of extra donuts. I look around the room. I see a number of people I don't know. I'd love to meet you at the door. We have a welcome desk out there. We go. We pray that you truly have a blessed day. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.